With me in the SCANA studio today are Dr. Melissa Walker, who is the George Dean Johnson, Jr. Professor of History at Converse College, T.J. Wallace of SC Humanities, and Dan Brennan from the Pickens County Museum of Art and History. And we're going to be talking about a Smithsonian exhibit that's rotating around the country, and it's called The Way We Worked. So all of you all, welcome to the journal. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Melissa, why don't you tell, as the humanities scholar on the program, why don't you tell us about the exhibit, the way we worked, what time, where? Well, the exhibit is organized around four themes, where we worked, how we worked, who we worked, and why we worked. And uh, it has great photographs and artifacts from all around the country from people who worked in all different kinds of industries. And the great thing is it's it's a part of the Smithsonian Museum's Museums on Main Street program, which brings these professionally crafted exhibits to small towns around the country with the help of humanities councils. And um, there's always something that you can tie into the local community. So, for example, uh, when the exhibit goes to the coast, we'll be able to tie in the people who worked in uh, fishing and the fisheries industry. When it goes to Pickens, we'll be able to tie in things like the railroad and lumbering. So there are links that local communities can make as they explore how people work. Okay. And there are some dates on this. It's just before the Civil War to through the 1980s. Exactly. Okay. Dan, this is coming to your museum. Mm-hmm. Are you going to have any special exhibit of local material? How are you going to highlight or augment the exhibit that's coming to you? We're looking at three areas of work that took place in Pickens County. The first, and this is a personal favorite of mine, is the CCC. Okay. Civilian Conservation Conservation Corps. What we're going to do is probably highlight the work that was done locally, particularly at Table Rock, at Kiwi Talks Away. At Table Rock, there were two camps that had been established there. There was a tremendous amount of work done from 1935 through, I think, around 1939 Mm -hmm. to develop the park. And it's this terrific, tremendous resource. It's the uh, the work that was done to improve the site. You can go there today, see the site as it was back in the 1930s when everything was done. And it's all been beautifully preserved. It's still being used today. It's, it's uh, The CCC was one of the, <clears throat> mo- one of the most popular of the New Deal programs yes. here in South Carolina. And that's really where much of our state park system began was with that. So you've got Table Rock and QE Talks Away, Mm -hmm. and there were a lot of photographs done that are available that you you may have in your museum? We have a few. Okay. We have a few. There's also a collection of photographs at Table Rock State Park itself. Okay. Will you incorporate those in an exhibit or? We plan to. Okay. If you haven't touched base, the Carolinian Library has got mm-hmm. all the WPA material that was collected in South Carolina. I've put the word out if anybody is willing to loan us any objects for the time being. Um, that would be great. That's part of the whole Main Street effort. Exactly. Is, is involve the community. Involve the community. And that during that four-year period, the late 30s, that is how a lot of... <laughs> Young men in South Carolina not only were gainfully employed, but a portion of their wages were sent back home to their families because the Depression really hit South Carolina very hard, Melissa. Yes, it did. And as a matter of fact, most of their wages, they I think they got to keep five out of the $30 a month that they earned, and the rest of it went home to the family. Correct. Yeah. And I was going to say, too, that the program was actually expanded from its beginning Uh, The age range, I think, was 18 to 25, Mm -hmm. and that was extended to 18 to 28. And at first, they could only 
stay employed with the CCC for six months. Then it was expanded to a year. And then eventually later, even World War I vets were brought in to augment and allow them to, to work to give them a, an opportunity to make some money. Mm-hmm. They will run like basic training camps. Down here, yeah. But it also involved hygiene. I mean, just a lot of things went into this. It was besides the fact that they were going to create state parks. I mean, it was, you know, you bring these young men in, you you teach them hygiene, regularly brush your teeth, bathing, I mean, that kind of thing. They and, also had night classes for people who hadn't finished their education. So they had opportunities to uh, learn some reading, writing, and arithmetic after they worked all day. Okay. All right, Dan, you said three areas. CCC is the first one. We're also interested in textile mills. Uh, There was a mill in, in Pickens. There are still mills in the area today. The manufacturing has been concentrated and is not as broad and as widespread as it used to be. The thing that really got me interested in this was a collection of photographs that we've got in the museum collection of different groups of shift workers that are standing or sitting in some cases outside one of the walls of the the Pickens Mill. And you've got an age range from little kids that look like they're seven or eight all the way up to older adults. And a lot of the kids are barefoot. Do you have a, a time frame on when that picture was taken? Approximately 1900, 1905. Okay. I was, I was going to say because South Carolina, early in the 20th century, f- did pass something like a child labor law. Mm-hmm. Yes. Listen, uh, not always observed. But go ahead with your description, Dan. What What is so startling, maybe, about these pictures is that they are, they're very personal. You've got a photograph taken of a group of people. They're very close to the camera. There are some very, very careworn looks from little kids. And when you look at this, you know, you're, you're bridging this, this phenomenal amount of time, at least in, in our human lives or a human life, over 100 years ago. And you just, you can feel the pressure and the stress from them working 10 hours a day or maybe 12 hours a day, six days a week. What kind of a life did they have? I want to, I want to be able to plumb that. I want to be able to bridge that gap for somebody living today who may not understand what life was like in this area, in the upstate, or the upcountry, mm-hmm. just over 100 years ago, how kind of hand-to-mouth that existence was. Actually, there's a very good book out, Mill in Town by David Carlton, yes. which which covers life in the mills. And again, <clears throat> the Carolinianna, um, they do have interviews with mill workers and there might be some Pickens County mill workers that were interviewed that you could be able to get Mm -hmm. copies to. Are there folks in town who are willing to talk about this? There are plenty and if they stop by they are usually willing to talk with us a little bit about it. Mm -hmm. The museum is housed in an old jail and we have more people come in saying, well, you know, I spent a weekend there one time. <laughs> but we do have the occasional mill worker come in. And, of course, the photograph you talk about, the people now would not have been child, would not have been child labor. That was, yes. I mean, that, that, was, that was an entirely different world. Completely. And you know why they employed children, don't you, Melissa? Well, their hands were small, and they could, and they were very dexterous, and they could mm-hmm. reach into those machines. Okay. And they were cheaper. And they were cheaper. Cheap. <laughs> yeah. So, but the fact that you mentioned that there was a full range of age groups, that in itself was interesting. Yes. Because were there women in the groups? Yes. Because women went into the factories very early in mm-hmm. South Carolina. Mm-hmm. All right, TJ, this is this exhibit has been around for a while with the Smithsonian. Explain the program in general. This is not the first time we've had a program like this in South Carolina. 
Yes, South Carolina Humanities has had the opportunity to partner with the Smithsonian through their Museum on Main Street program to bring, this is actually our fifth exhibit, so four um, previous exhibits we've brought to tour South Carolina. Um, Recently we had um, Hometown Teams, which was about American sports. That was in 2015. We also had New Harmonies, which was about American roots music in 2011 and 2012. And the very first exhibit I worked on was called Key Ingredients. It was about foodways. So we have, we've had some very um, fun exhibits with very um, kind of warm, fuzzy topics. Everybody wants to talk about food. Um, lots of people have um, strong associations with sports in their communities. So when it came time to pick our next exhibit, and I was looking at what the Museum on Main Street program had available, and I saw the way we worked was one of the only exhibits that South Carolina Humanities hadn't brought yet that they had available at the time. And I thought, hmm, work. It's not quite as glamorous as food or sports or um, music. And so I was um, really wondering how how the local sites would really want to engage um, with the topic of labor. But my main contact at the Smithsonian, Robbie Davis, is from South Carolina. And he really encouraged me about all the different kinds of topics that we could really delve into associated with labor that that would really be interesting, that would really sometimes be a, almost a little dangerous is not really the word, but, you know, topics of um, slavery in South Carolina in the sense of, of work and labor or um, labor unions in South Carolina, topics that we would have to approach sensitively. So there's a lot to unpack in this exhibit. There's a lot to think about. Since 1857 is the starting date, are there pictures of slaves in the fields? In Pickens yes. County, it would have been cotton. In the Low Country, it would have been it would have been rice. In Spartanburg, it could have just been a farm with cotton and corn. Right. But there are no there are no pictures of none that I've seen. I don't think so. Because, of course, it's a national exhibit rather than a southern-focused exhibit. And so there are lots of southern scenes in the exhibit, but they didn't pay a lot of attention to slavery. Is this more of a manufacturing-based exhibit? In other words, not showing farming? No. Actually, there's a great deal of coverage of different kinds of agriculture, also um, fishing, construction, railroads, retailing, the professions. So there's there's a great variety of things in this exhibit. Okay. All right. Well, Dan, you, I'm waiting for your number three. You've My got... number three is, um, again, it's a, a multifaceted element of Pickens County. It's got to do with, or kind of starting with the Doodle Railroad between Pickens and Easley. And it also has to do with early forestry and the clear-cutting that was undertaken in the Illinois Valley, uh, Estoe Valley, the rails that were run up the mountains and used to haul lumber or freshly cut lumber down the hills. It has always fascinated me that the rails themselves, you had everything clear-cut up through the mountain passes to get lumber out. But when all the lumber was taken out, they picked up all that rail or almost all that rail and brought it back and used it someplace else. There's a person who's going to speak for us about that. And he's gone up into the woods. Uh, He's discovered bits and pieces of evidence that tell us that there were rails and railroads running up into that those areas but again it's in it it's all ties in a little bit to the ccc also because you've got these uh, old camps that are abandoned but you still have evidence that these camps were once there and the same thing exists with the railroads a lot of people are very interested in that era of development it seems like there's a lot of focus locally on this period between 
you know, let's say 1890 up through even the 1920s when there was this mm-hmm. sudden intense development that took place. Which reminds me exactly the kind of story that Ron Rash told in his novel Serena, which mm-hmm. is set in North mm-hmm. Carolina, but that's when timber companies came through mm-hmm. in the mountains. At that same time they were doing the clear cutting, it's the same time the chestnut blight hit the hardwoods mm-hmm. in particularly the mountainous counties. So this is a part of South Carolina history most people don't know about. Mm-hmm. I mean, these logging railroads in the mountains, they also had them in the swamps and the peat. Mm-hmm. And they had special engines. I mean, they they were not your typical railroad, but they built them very... Uh, they were temporary. I mean, yes. Yeah, exactly. They were made yeah. to be pulled up and built again somewhere mm-hmm. else. Yeah. TJ, isn't one of the hopes of this program that it will elicit memories. Somebody might say, well, my dad was a lumberjack for X timber company back in 1914, or my granddad. Isn't that one of the hopes that we'll get? The Smithsonian in general hopes that this program will generate contributions of you know, memories, that kind of thing. Absolutely. In fact, several of our other sites are doing a special program through the Smithsonian to have students record local history stories through a special grant that that they were able to get. So in St. George and in Chester, they are doing these these kind of history harvest projects with with students as the key and investigators and providing them that opportunity. So it's a really fun outreach of the program. And Chester is also doing a couple of days where they go out on to local communities on a Sunday afternoon and ask people to bring in photographs and old memorabilia, and they're going to scan that material so that it will be in the local history collections. So it's just another opportunity to raise people's awareness that You've got stuff in your attic that is worth preserving, and we'd love to be able to make a copy of that and put it in our records. That's one of my hobby horses, Mm -hmm. is that people don't realize what's in their attic is important. This period that you're talking about, Dan, Mm -hmm. 1890 to the 1920s, Mm -hmm. transformed Pickens County. Uh, The mills came in, and then the timber companies came in. Yes. But Pickens County before that had been completely agricultural. Yes. A cotton county. Yes. And it, it and it and it was transformed in that thirty year period. Very much so. I hesitate to say thoroughly modernized, but it was transformative in a lot of ways. Uh, even to think about um you know, to go or look a little bit further south to Anderson County. And the electrification of the upstate. Well, Anderson was known as the electric city. That yeah, was right. that was its uh, motto. As, but again, that period is the progressive era. People yes. are putting in. Uh, you talk about modernization, uh, municipal water supply, sewage, mm-hmm. um, streetcars, paving the streets. Uh, but electricity was a, a big part of that, and particularly once the the textile mills came in, electricity followed. They went from water power to, to electric. To to electric, mm-hmm. and again that transformed everybody's life. You you weren't just going by the natural rhythm of dawn to dusk. Mm-hmm. The mill whistle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In mill communities around South Carolina, and I'm sure Pickens is no exception, it regulated the day. It did. Mm-hmm. The start of the first shift, the noon, the end of the first shift, and of course, at sometimes not so much uh, in the in the 20s and 30s, but around World War One and certainly World War Two, they were running three shifts mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. the clock. T.J. The exhibit is traveling around South Carolina. Where are the communities that it has been and where it's going? The exhibit opened um, in South Carolina in St. George at the new Dorchester County Archives and History Center, a beautiful new facility they have available in St. George. And after St. George, it travels to Blythewood, 
to the Blythewood Historical Society, which is actually where it will be when um, when this episode airs. And after um, Blythewood, it travels to Pickens, mm-hmm. to Dan's um, museum. And then it goes to Chester, where it will be installed in the Chester City Hall. And then it will go to McClellanville, um, where it will be at the McClellanville Arts Council. And it will close its time in South Carolina um, at the Black Creek Arts Council in Hartsville. The institutions that you mentioned are relatively small. We're not talking about the Columbia Museum of Art or the Charleston. That's an important part of the program too, right? That's correct. The Museum on Main Street exhibits are um, expressly designed by the Smithsonian to go to small towns and rural communities, small cultural organizations. They're very adaptable as far as the way they can be installed. They're low security while still being very wonderful and full of um, wonderful artifacts and interactive components. And when South Carolina Humanities looks um, to choose our sites to host these traveling exhibits, we're looking for communities of 20,000 or less people. So we get to really reach out to some communities that we don't always receive grant applications from. Like you said, we get lots of grant applications from the bigger cultural organizations located in, in the major metropolitan areas, but we don't usually get a grants application maybe from the McClellanville Arts Council or um, from any organization in Chester. So it really gives South Carolina humanities a, a, a nice opportunity to get into some communities and some counties of the state that we don't often do a lot of programming in. And if I could, Walter, I would just love to make a, a little plug here for the National Endowment for the Humanities, which is the national organization that provides most of SC Humanities funding. And that's really important to our state because we're not a wealthy state. And so it makes resources available to a lot of the cultural institutions around the state and provides a lot of valuable programming. When TJ was talking about the small communities that were involved with this particular grant, and I remember the previous one was sports, Denmark, South mm-hmm. Carolina was was one of the uh, places, and it was actually a, a church group, I think. That yeah, that that's a really wonderful story. That there was an all volunteer group in Bamberg County that came together to plan bringing the exhibit to Denmark, and it was displayed in a church fellowship hall. And they, um, in their final report, said what a wonderful thing it was for the community, for the county of um, Bamberg County, to have the exhibit. It brought people together in a way that they hadn't experienced before. Um, The project director said that usually people from Bamberg, the big city, don't come over to Denmark. (laughs) There's not a lot of cooperation between those two communities. But the whole county um, really had to come together to make that exhibit a success. And she said it was was really such a positive experience for them there. I think it's interesting on a national scene because people say, oh, South Carolina, whatever. But with the Smithsonian, their new museum, which has just opened, Mm-hmm. the African-American History Museum, the first exhibit is from South Carolina. Yes. came from Edisto Island. The slave cabin. The slave cabin. The mate of that slave cabin, of course, is at the Edisto Island Historic Preservation yes. Museum. And there are, there are other things in the Smithsonian that over the years have gone from South Carolina to Washington. So... I love bringing back the story from Washington that we can share in our in our small communities because the small museums like yours, Dan, are one of the things that's to help keep our small communities together yes. that people can identify with. I mean, mm-hmm. this is such a hurly-burly world and people are running hither and thither and yon, but it's amazing if you just start talking to folks and say, well, do you remember, when was the last time you were at Table Rock? How did Table Rock come about? Well, did you know that so-and-so's uncle worked there as a 19-year-old guy before he mm-hmm. went in the Army in World War One, uh, Two? 
excuse me, as TJ talked about the, the Denmark experience, all of a sudden people are talking to one another mm-hmm. about a shared heritage mm-hmm. that they have, uh, in this case, dealing with the Depression. Mm-hmm. Folks, we've got to pause for a moment and let our listeners know that this is Walter Edgar's Journal, and I'm talking with Dr. Melissa Walker and T.J. Wallace and Dan Brennan, and we're talking about a Smithsonian exhibit entitled The Way We Worked. It's been in the state for a while, but it's going to appear in May at Dan's museum in Pickens. Okay? And back to our discussion. Dan, have you got any special programs that you're going to offer or panels? Right now what we're doing is bringing in different guest speakers, again, who are experts on the topic. Um, The first person that we're bringing in is Paul Nolan, who is the head ranger or the, the park site manager at Table Rock. He is extremely well versed and is extremely knowledgeable about the Civilian Conservation Corps presence. He has explored almost the entire site. Uh, there's some private property up there where the camps used to be. He's been all over that. He understands intimately and has spoken to people who had worked there. Unfortunately, I think most of them have passed away. He's uh, got several artifacts that have been donated to Table Rock State Park. And I felt that he was he was going to be the key point. He was going to be the perfect person to come in and talk about this. He'll make a presentation, questions, mm-hmm. questions and answers. And how are you going to publicize this in the county? Right now we go through our county website www.visitpickenscounty.com and we also use social media. All right. We focused in on the period 1890 to 1920, but we kind of skipped over what was going on before that, and we certainly have skipped over what was going on after that. Melissa? Yeah, well, certainly after World War II, you do see uh, the textile industry begin its long, slow decline, and you also see agriculture becoming less and less a part of our economy, although it's still a very important part of our economy, but fewer people working in agriculture. Um, but then starting in the the 70s and the 80s, you start to see new kinds of industry move into the state. BMW in the upstate and the automotive industry moves in, and that begins to transform the whole upstate. And and in the lower part of the state, of course, we've recently seen uh, Boeing. And another important piece of the South Carolina work scene has been the presence of of, uh, military installations in the state. So they have provided not only employment for enlisted personnel, but a lot of civilians around the state have found work at Fort Jackson or at the naval base. Uh, So you just see lots and lots of transformation taking place. And then, of course, Nowadays, we see more focus on the service economy and the tourist economy and the knowledge economy, as we call them. So a lot more white-collar jobs moving in. And you look at a a county like Greenwood, and it is health services. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, Pickens is a growing community, bedroom community of Clemson. Mm -hmm. I don't know if Clemson, a bedroom community of Greenville. Yes. (laughs) One element that I'm really interested in right now is the the attempt or the development of tech industry and manufacturing in Pickens or Pickens County. Mm-hmm. And it's steadily, steadily working its way in. Uh, more people are introducing high-tech jobs in the area. Mostly there's a, um, I think there's a small industrial park in Liberty or near Liberty. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, as you go closer towards Greenville, throughout Easley, I uh, see the same thing. I think it's going to be, obviously, like everywhere else, it's going to be the wave of the future, or the way of the future. I want to know a little bit more about your museum, the history okay. of your museum. County museums 
town museums interest me greatly. This, this is like, who are you and who are your people? I want. <laughs> who am I and who who are my people? Well, the museum itself originally began as a jail and was built in 1902. Uh, this was the county jail. It was a small building. It's uh, really an an unusual looking locally made brick. It's got a copper roof. It looks Lo- a little locally made brick. Yes, roll, hand rolled brick. Okay. And the facade looks a little bit like a castle. It's kind of a how big is it? Not as big as you'd think. When it was first opened, I want to say that they only had between five and eight jail cells right. in the whole building. Roughly, I'd say no more than ten thousand square feet at the most. Okay. Uh, the sheriff and his family lived there. The first sheriff to occupy the building was Sheriff McDaniel, and he and his wife had 13 kids. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yikes. That's what yeah. those jail cells were for. <laughs> they, they occupied the front half of the building. There was an upstairs, uh, uh, almost like an apartment or series of bedrooms, Downstairs, there was an office, there was a parlor and a kitchen, and then back behind that were the jail cells, both upstairs and downstairs. In 1929, 1930, the back wall was knocked out, and the jail cells were very, very broadly expanded, or the number of cells were expanded. And I think that's kind of coincidental with um, prohibition. (laughs) And if you look at most of the arrests that were made at that time, uh, people were being arrested for making moonshine. Mm -hmm. And this is probably more inference just coming from me, but I think what they were doing was they'd arrest somebody and fine them. Uh, The arrestee would pay their fine, and then they'd go back out in the woods and start making moonshine again until the next year. It's not just an inference that that's... That happened. That's, That's yeah. what they did. In yeah. fact, in many counties, they weren't arrested at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when did it become a museum? The sheriff's department or sheriff's office in Pickens County opened a new building called the Law Enforcement Center in 1975. The Pickens County Jail, as it stood, was ceded over to the... I think the Historical Society, mm-hmm. and it became a museum I th- technically around 1975, and um, it's been a kind of a split between local history and local art. Right now, we split time between our permanent exhibits, uh, which cover local history. We have, you know, I'm going to pat ourselves on the back a little bit. We, of all things, we've got a radio that was owned by Adolf Hitler. Mm-hmm. It was taken from the Eagle's Nest at the end of World War II. There was a man from Pickens who was in the 101st Airborne Division, and he had done some R&R up there right at the end of World War II. Um, we've uh, got a sword cane and a pair of dueling pistols that were owned by Andrew Pickens. Uh, we've got a piano that belonged to John C. Calhoun. So it's pretty eclectic. It's, it's very eclectic. Okay. How big is your staff, or is it you? Uh, it's me and right now two other people. Okay. And uh, one, of, one of whom is our preparator, Daniel James. Give him a shout-out here. And uh, the gift shop manager, Lakin, or Lakin Pilgrim. We always sort of kid around with each other. You know, I, there's... The, the professional part that you spend time accessioning artifacts and working on storage and developing an exhibit or something like that, but you also have to make sure that you take the garbage out or vacuum the carpet. So It's the story of small museums everywhere. Yes. Yours got started a little bit later, but you could the same thing would have happened actually uh, if you go back and look at the history of something like the Columbia Museum of Art Mm -hmm. or Museum in Florence, Mm -hmm. they all began as small enterprises. And I think it's wonderful that the folks in Pickens wanted to have Mm -hmm. a museum. And it's history and art, and it's Mm -hmm. becoming a cultural center for the community. Yes. 
So um, I know uh, I know a number of folks in Pickens and Oconee and Greenville counties have moved to South Carolina from somewhere else. So where are you from? Where am I from? I grew up on the west side of Cleveland, Ohio. I moved from that area down to North Carolina for a while. I lived in Winston-Salem, then Greensboro, and then Raleigh, and I got my entry into public history at the North Carolina Museum of History. Okay. And um, I worked there for eight years, and then I decided to buy a house in Six Mile. And like my dad says, it's not the end of the world, but you can see it from there. <laughs> and <laughs> it's very rural. And um, actually coming coming around a little bit to agriculture on not so much on my property, but on adjacent properties right where I live, you can see uh, terraces where I think people used to farm, maybe farm cotton, possibly. I uh, don't know how far back that goes. I have talked with folks who are from that general area of the state, and they do talk about terracing mm-hmm. the hillside. Some of that came kind of later because earlier, Melissa, as you know, instead of plowing around the hills, they plowed up and down, which created the gullies. Yes. Um, Fairfield County in the Depression was the most seriously eroded county in the United States of America. Yes, because of, really? Yes, because people... Fairfield's a hilly county. Yeah. You don't, you don't, maybe not like Pickens, but it is a very hilly mm-hmm. county, and it was planted all in cotton. Mm-hmm. But they, they plowed up and down the hills and the gullies, the gully washers. I mean, that's, yeah, that was another part of what CCC did. That they came in and mm-hmm. uh, reforested, mm-hmm. uh, worked with, you know, plow around and not up and down. So it's it's all part of the same story. TJ, what's online for SC Humanities after this particular exhibit goes through? Are you going to have any more main? Yes, we're very excited. We actually have two Museum on Main Street um, exhibits on the books for the future. We were pleased to be selected as one of the first states to host the newest Museum on Main Street exhibit that will open in September of 2018 called Crossroads of Rural America. So it's really focusing on rural communities, and I have not yet seen a whole lot of information about it because they're designing it right now, but we're excited to debut that exhibit in South Carolina. And then in 2020, we're bringing an exhibit on water. And I think it's called Water, (laughs) which will also be, I think, very, very relevant to South Carolina. We have all sorts of waterways that we can talk about and and think about um, in different ways. So That first one about the countryside and, and farming, Melissa, as you know, we were still officially a rural state until in the 1980s. Yes. And people don't believe this, but as late as 1960, still a major cotton-producing state, and a majority of that cotton was picked by hand. Wow. 1960. So, TJ, I'm looking forward not just to this exhibit, but the ones you're talking about coming down the line, because the the sports exhibit was fantastic. I I love seeing that, because I can drive from the big city down to the little city little town (laughs) and look at this main street these smaller communities make great day trips there's um, lots to do when we visited hometown teams the sports exhibit um, in Manning we ate a delicious lunch we got to see their archives building we got to see their local museum and we got to see the exhibit where it was installed at Weldon Auditorium so we got to tour you know three cultural sites and and just really had an enjoyable day Mm -hmm. and all of the communities that are hosting these um, traveling smithsonian exhibits and the full schedule is of course available on our website at schumanities.org okay that's what i was going to ask because dan's already mentioned his website but they can go to the sc humanities website and uh 
and, and get that information. And TJ, should we mention that we have several sponsors for this exhibit? Um, I, I just want to be sure. I've got a list, but I want to be sure I haven't left anyone out. The Byerly Foundation and Dorchester County and Pickens County and Richland County and Sunoco. Did I miss anybody? No, that's correct. Those okay. are some of our wonderful state sponsors who yes. help make the exhibit possible here in South Carolina. All right. It's, it's already been to St. George, Chester. It's now in Chester? It's in Blythewood now. Okay, Blythewood. At the Blythewood Historical Society. So that's one of the um, closest small communities to one of our big cities that we've done in a while. We we had one exhibit go to Landrum, which is outside of Spartanburg. But um, I really do hope a lot of people from Columbia will go to the Blythewood Historical mm-hmm. Society, which is also a group that's mostly volunteer run and yeah. really support them. I'll be there on the 19th giving a little talk on That's the correct. opening day. And then it will be in Pickens and mm-hmm. where after that? It'll be in Pickens through from May 6th through June 18th. It'll be in Chester at the City Hall of Chester from June 24th to August 6th. It'll be at the McClellanville Arts Council from August 12th through September 24th, and it will be at the Black Creek Arts Council in Hartsville from September 30th through November 12th, and after that, it goes back to Washington, D.C. Okay, so it's covering the state. Melissa, when you look at the exhibit as a historian, what can you tell our listeners about how we worked then today we might not know about. Oh, wow. There's so much. Um, I think people didn't realize uh, and still often don't realize how much hard physical labor, manual labor, went into daily life. Um, the, The exhibit features a lot of work that wouldn't necessarily have been paid. Uh, It features, for example, Uh, homemakers doing work within their homes, preserving food, cooking, cleaning, those kinds of things. Um, Another thing I think you see in the exhibit is the enormous technological change. And you can really start to track that as you look at the artifacts and the photographs that are available. When you talk about work, and the evolution of work, you're really talking about the evolution of technology that changes the way we work. Well, you you mentioned retail earlier in Mm -hmm. our conversation, and I can actually remember in the 1950s going to a small southern town. It actually was in West Tennessee. It was a general store. There was a counter and everything was on shelves behind mm-hmm. you. You said you wanted a can of tomatoes, or you wanted this or that, and they had like one of those li- those ladders that they rolled up in it, and they the clerk brought it down. Brought it down for you. Now, admittedly, that was not true in the in the big cities, but in the big cities in in the eighteen nineties, people began to have department stores. Yes. So you have clerks. Many of them are. Women, uh, and they specialized. They were the clerks in the men's department, or in the women's department, or in the the sewing and notions department. So there was that specialization going on, even in the retail world. And as I like to remind folks, they talk about well, the secretary thinking about the nineteen fifties. Until World War One, most clerks were male. Were male. That's right. Secretaries were male. And, in, and in fact, I think what changed it was the typewriter. The typewriter. The typewriter. Back to the technology. Yeah. Before that, if you had a good hand, you could get a job as a clerk. But early typewriter manufacturers sold typewriters as being uh, particularly suited for female hands because female fingers were small. And, of course, females could be paid less. The whole nature of, you know, workforce changing. Yes. I mean, everybody knows the the special cases during both world wars where women went into munitions factories mm-hmm. and Rosie the Riveter and 
and all of that. But really, the 1890s, 1900, historically, with the, the Industrial Revolution, I mean, it already was here in the United States, mm-hmm. but it was dramatically changing the whole concept of, of work. Yes. This is part of your area. This is when home work machine, you know, vacuum cleaners, yes. washing machines, sewing machines, they came in, well, sewing machines a little bit earlier, but all of these labor-saving devices came in. And of course, when they came in, that usually meant somebody lost a job. Yes. That happened in the home as well as outside the home. Most middle-class people uh, in in South Carolina would have had some domestic help, part of the, at least part-time. Yeah. Um, and that starts to disappear, particularly by the 1950s and 60s, as you get more and more of these labor-saving devices. In small towns, and Dan, I'm not I'm not sure it was in Pickens, but I know in the in the Low Country, um, in the small towns, you would not necessarily have a laundry or a laundromat. Mm-hmm. There would be women who would take in washing, or they would take in ironing. You made your own washing, but you then let somebody else do the the hard part of standing Mm -hmm. up at the ironing board. Yes. One of my favorite things to talk about with visitors is we have a, there's a small exhibit, and it's not so much about people working necessarily, but it's about technology because that's in and of itself an incredibly fascinating thing. We have a small TV from 1950. We've got a Columbia record player from 1915, uh, we've got a couple of movie projectors. There's an old radio from the 1920s. And, you know, you ask just about anybody today, what you know, what's a vacuum tube? What's it do? I took the time to clean up the record player. And hopefully it's not lost on someone, you know, looking at this and, and you know, trying to explain to somebody how it works. I made a little video of it on my phone, and when you look at our phones today, I know, you know, 10 or 15 years ago or 20 years ago, I never would have imagined that we could use our phones for everything. And I hope it's not lost on somebody that when you're looking at a 100-year-old record player playing a 78, it was an Andrew Sisters album that was made in 1940. You're watching this video of a record player on a phone. <laughs> um, that's kind of mind blowing, but it's uh, today. You know what you're talking about is as things progress. Now we're at this point where if if Pickens County develops a um, a high tech corridor where we have a lot of industry or high tech industry coming in, and those industries start to use robots, then what are the people who have traditionally worked in industry around here, what are they going to be doing mm-hmm. at the same time? I think about that a lot. I want to be able to to approach that as well. Okay. Well, Alfred's given me the wind-up sign, and so all of our guests get to have a last word. And, TJ, I'm going to start with you. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to represent South Carolina Humanities Council on the show and to talk about um, our big Smithsonian traveling exhibit, The Way We Worked. And I hope that your listeners will take the opportunity to visit one of the communities that's hosting it. Thank you. Okay. Dan? I'm grateful that you've I've been invited here and you've given me the opportunity to talk for a little bit. I'm grateful to you, TJ, for letting us have the exhibit to travel to Pickens in, in the Pickens County Museum. And uh, I hope that everybody out there wants to come and see us. Okay. Melissa? Well, you know, work is a universal. Everybody does some of it at least sometimes in their life. And so I think there's something in this exhibit for everybody. And I hope that people will come out and take a look and get some perspective on how work has changed over time. All right. T.J. Wallace, Dan Brennan, and Dr. Melissa Walker, thanks so much for being with us today on The Journal. 
This is Walter Edgar, and I hope you enjoyed today's journal. I knew about the Museums on Main Street program from the Smithsonian. They've had them before, and South Carolina has been very lucky to get some. But this particular one on the way we worked is especially intriguing. In talking to Dan Brennan from the Pickens County Museum of Art and History, you can understand how excited a small-town museum or historical society is to be able to attract an exhibit like this. It generates excitement. New items have been brought into the museum. There will be discussions in the community about the way people worked in Pickens County over the last half century. And it just really is a community event. And it's traveling all around South Carolina. This is Walter Edgar. Join me next week for more of The Journal. Walter Edgar's Journal is a production of South Carolina Public Radio. The producer and engineer is Alfred Turner. Production of this program is made possible in part by listener contributions to the ETB Endowment of South Carolina. The views and opinions expressed on Walter Edgar's Journal are not necessarily those of South Carolina Public Radio.